Hello and welcome to the Race to Alaska podcast. I'm Jesse, the race boss here at Race High Command, and you are listening to episode two. Joining me today from wherever the hell he's been since we last saw him is my predecessor, the original, version one, the OG race boss emeritus, Daniel Evans. Hey, Jesse, how's it going? Oh, man, it's great to it's great to hear your voice from wherever you've been. Uh, so the people, I think, are wondering where where have you been? How are you getting your kicks? What are you doing? Well, you know, I get my kicks lots of different ways, but uh, I am you know, I, I get to have my own very domestic version of Race to Alaska as I teach uh, middle school and high school. And I get to teach shop and we're building tiny homes and all kinds of stuff for the community. Uh, and it's just a little bit of uh, doing personal adventures and uh, a lot of uh, wrangling. So what's the danger comparison, you know, the risk assessment, R2AK versus high school woodshop? You know, it's, you know, as, as opposed to like when you're, when you're ripping up the race course and, you know, you, you don't have any weather radio anymore, you lost contact, your phone's not working, and you see uh, the, the thunderheads starting to show up on the horizon, you know you have a little bit of time before everything is utterly chaos. The, the big difference is that chaos happens almost immediately in the, the wood shop. And like the kid that as they're walking out of the class decides to flip on a table saw and throw a pencil at it. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, it seems like you're still out there in the world uh, facilitating danger. And that's what we like to hear. Yeah, Thea, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. And I bet it's a lot quieter at the office these days. It is. It is. The decibel level has gone down. Uh, but we miss you and, uh, the listeners should know you, you still live in the same town. We see you all the time. And I was excited to be part of this, really excited to be able to, uh, interview some of these teams, um, still be involved, uh, with the race where I can, because, you know, my heart and soul lives up and down this coastline. Absolutely. Uh, well, Hey, let's get to it. Shall we? Um, you and I both interviewed teams for this week's episode, and I think we should get to yours first. So let's talk a little bit about team tips up. Yeah, tips up. <clears throat> They're pretty fantastic. They're a younger duo out of Colorado, John and Kayla. And uh, they, they're really interesting for a couple reasons. And first blush, they're in a Hobie. Uh, they, they've taken like small boats to some pretty great heights. You know, they've ended up worlds doing some stuff, um, some sailed some pretty big races and some pretty big waters, but they both realized that uh, the next thing, that next plateau that they need to reach that they had not been able to get to yet was something like Race to Alaska. And so I would say incredibly psyched, really interesting to hear. I think I think everyone's going to really enjoy the interview. Yeah, that's great. These two seem like the real deal. Uh, and I'm pretty stoked that this is already our second team on the podcast who are making the full attempt on a beach cat. So this year yeah. already shaping up to be pretty interesting. So let's hear what they have to say. Okay, so I do, I have a, I have a number of questions. Um, <laughs> and you know, the first one that is, I think, glaring, right? They're just staring at me when I look at your application and I'm like, what the, what is a Hobie 16? Okay, Hobie. <laughs> now, this is something really interesting because I, in your application, one of the things you wrote was, uh, no 
racer has ever finished on a Hobie 16. Don't you think it's time? But but my brain says no no racer has ever finished on a Hobie 16. Isn't that an evidence of something? <laughs> so de defend the Hobie. Oh, first to the best of your uh, ability, describe a Hobie 16, and then please defend that choice. <laughs> so Hobie 16 is, it was a revolutionary beach cat when it came out way ahead of its time. And it's it's been raced all over the world for 50 years now, maybe more. Um, and it's also one of the most, uh, the most numbers of Hobie 16 have been produced of any of small sale that, uh, I think it's up there with the laser. It's like more than a hundred thousand. So they're all over the world. A ton of different people sell them. A bunch of people sell them when they were kids and, uh, there's a ton of people still racing them. So it's a, it's a really cool fleet. It's a fleet I grew up racing in. There's a really active Pacific Northwest fleet that had some amazing mentors for me, uh, as I was getting started in sailing. So my heart is with the Hobie 16. Um, it was my first love in the sailing world. So there's a, a, certainly an emotional connection, but if you want to talk about the, the boat Look, itself. Okay. Hold on for one sec, John. So you started sailing the Hobie when you were 14, right? Yeah, that's right. And Layla, and you've never, I mean, yeah, I imagine you've sailed them, but you've never taken them to the level he has. You were like kicking ass in 505s. And um, like club 420s. And 420s. Yeah. And he was, he was rocking along in the world on the Hobie. Is that, I got that right? Yeah, that's more or less right. Yeah, we both grew, uh, like sort of went through the club sailing world, um, sailing, competing in different boats. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, John, sorry to interrupt. Go for it. No problem. Um, the specs of the Hobie 16 is it it's called the 16, but it's actually closer. If you round up, it's 17 feet. So we got that going for us. Um, <laughs> Rounding up. Did you have that <laughs> for you? Okay. All right. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Right. Um, it, it is, it is a, a really sturdy boat and it, we, I've sailed it in all kinds of conditions. I've sailed it um, out of, Victoria and the Jericho Catamaran Classic, you get huge ro rollers in there, big, big breeze. Um, you know, the South Africans sail them in those kinds of conditions all, all year round, all the time. And um, the boats really do hold up to heavy conditions well, but that doesn't change the fact that it's a super exposed boat uh, and you're on the wire a bunch, uh, you're, you're wet. Um, you know, we look to all of the past racers who've done this race in beach cats and put up some really, really impressive times. Um, and so that's really inspiring to us. A lot of them did have slightly larger beach cats and mm. beach cats with wings on them, um, which definitely helps. So it, this is definitely stepping it up another notch. Well, I, I just, I, I think for those of you who don't know what beach cats are, I would encourage people to look up uh, Hobie 16 online right now. And I'm going to break it down a little bit. It is a trampoline, uh, not very large trampoline, that's held up by two holes and a mast and a jib and nowhere to hide from the weather. Like, no. Um, you know, sturdy, yeah. yes. Exposed, yes. Small, even rounding up, I would say. Small, <laughs> yes. 
No, oh yeah, I was gonna say one other plug for the boat is sort of like historically it's been ra- uh, raced, um, right? The World Warbler, War- World One Thousand, World One Thousand, um, around Florida. Um, so it's definitely, and there's also the Everglades Challenge, which is another like beach catamaran Hobie. I think sometime recently they started racing them more in like Nacras, but historically, um, there was a lot of racing of like Hobie Sixteens up and down the Florida coast. So the boats over the last 50 years have been tested, you know, in sort of that ocean condition, obviously not as cold, you know, as you might see racing to Alaska, but um, still the same like currents and winds and, and exposure that you would get. But yeah. I mean, I, I would say um, that I wouldn't necessarily agree with you on that. Um, only that, <laughs> uh, the, the condi- conditions going up the inside passage have, uh, have, are, are pretty unique uh and uh i am excited to watch you all kind of take it on because it is it's a it's a race course that has proven um to be good at one thing which is to find the weakness in every team uh and oftentimes the teams don't know what that weakness is but i'm curious if you were to guess what the race course the weakness the race course was going to find in you what do you think that would be and you might be working to make it better. I'm not saying that. <laughs> no, I, I think it, it relates to the previous question, which is the exposure level on the boat. You can't, you can't really hide. hide from the weather. If it gets cold, if if it's um, if it's wet out, it's going to be wet, whether it's raining or not, because of the spray. Um, but if it gets really cold, we're doing our best to plan our layers and our dry suits. But uh, if we make a mistake in and letting certain layers get wet or letting sleeping bags get wet or that, that type of management is going to be super important. So it's front of mind, but that is probably something that'll get exposed yeah. if we make any mistakes. You know, it brings no. up another, another question I had, which is, you know, both of you are, uh, through hikers. I mean, you definitely are adventurous, right? You, you're through hikers, ultra marathoners. I think you listed your BMI, which was a very small number, uh, which made me think um, you were not very um, sea lion like. And they are really, they're the ones that are built for that type of water. <laughs> Do you think of that much when, uh, you know, you're talking about your preparation, like how you're going to keep the calories up, how you're going to stay warm, being constantly awash in, you know, 48 degree water? Yeah, I think for, yeah, I think like kind of like you said, it's definitely a combination of like what we're eating, how we're dressing, how we're moving about in the day. And I think really knowing those limits, I think one really nice thing that like our through hiking experience has given us is like, I, I feel pretty confident that we both know where like our cold limit is and when to say like, hey, like, we're getting close to it. We need to like anchor. We need to stop. We need to throw a tent up um, because obviously going past that limit is when things start to get really dangerous. I think on the food side, we're definitely thinking a lot about like our calorie intake. Um, something we've done a lot on our through hikes is like watching our calories um, and making sure that like we're eating enough to match um, our outputs. And so thinking about, you know, the freeze dried food we're going to eat, the fats that we're going to eat. Um, and then obviously, you know, we're, we're planning on wearing, you know, dry suits with multiple layers and, you know, wearing layers that would still be warm, even if they got wet. I mean, in theory, you shouldn't be wet if you're wearing a dry suit, but obviously you never know. 
Um, so things like that um, we're thinking a lot about. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. I think the through hiking experience is especially relevant because for four months, you're pushing yourself as hard as you can every day and hiking maybe 20 to 30 or more miles a day. And to be able to keep doing that day after day, you're going through 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 calories a day, and you're carrying all those calories on your back. So you really want to make sure you're always bringing food you know you can get down, food you know you're going to eat, and um, food that's as light as possible. So we have spreadsheets and a lot of history of recording <laughs> and looking at the calories per ounce yeah. calories per ounce wow. every wow. yeah calories per yeah. ounce really yes big on the calories Kayla, per ounce. Kayla can probably <laughs> quote you the calories per ounce of every type of nut well olive oil is like 200 to 220 most chocolates are like around 140 or so but we, we definitely have a baseline rule that like all of your food needs to minimally be above a hundred calories per ounce. And typically we're shooting for like 120 plus. No way. Uh, so does that mean that one of your meals might be just shots of olive oil with really good <laughs> chocolate bars? Because that, you know, it's that always too. a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. You know, we will definitely probably be bringing olive oil. I mean, it's, yeah. it's definitely like one of the best like fats that like keeps you warm. Um, Yeah. I mean, olive oil, peanut butter, chocolates. That's why like you see a lot of through hikers eating like Snickers and candy bars. It's just mm -hmm. because you've got those peanuts, the chocolates, the caramel, like it's just, it's so much energy. You know, there's a, another thing that's interesting about like, um, you know, this, your strategy. And I'm just wondering what you've thought about this, but you know, you're on a beach cat, you're carrying your food. You're obviously going for high impact food, which totally makes sense. Uh, but uh, you know, the thing that always bounces around in my head is that a Hobie 16 is a beach cat. That word beach, beach, beach. I'm one, have you tried to count how many beaches are between Japan? <laughs> because I think the last time I counted, it was somewhere around one. And um, I'm pretty sure that most people called it a sandbar. But, uh, yes, I'm reminded, I'm reminded of uh, uh, one sailor um, a while back who uh, would so he could find sleep he was going solo uh he had such a hard time finding places to land that he started jamming his mast in the overhanging trees to hold him in place <laughs> so he could sleep for a little while until the tide dropped enough that his mast would slip out and then he took on oh my god <laughs> that's awesome that's have you creative. thought about like what your rhythm's gonna be like, you know, are you gonna go overnight anytime? Are you always looking for uh, a place to pull up in the evenings or, yeah, what's your strategy? Yeah, can we take Yeah, um, it's definitely something that we've done some research and have a lot more research to do. Um, one of our researchers actually been watching Race to Alaska documentaries from other sailors. So we've been so <laughs> appreciative of that, of just sort of seeing like where did they sleep and watching the tracker to try to figure out you know where, what kind of inlets people are going into um there's also like the bc marine trails has a lot of really cool campgrounds um towards like the bottom of the like sort of vancouver island side so we've been looking a lot at that i think some strategies we've been talking about is do we sort of like make some kind of roller thing that'll allow us to mm. sort of like beach cat over like rocky area terrain um, another thing is like, we've seen some teams that have just carried a little anchor and like, I think Hobie actually makes like a 
OEM anchor for the Hobie mm-hmm. Cat um, and doing that and just camping on the boat and, you know, talking into like safe, safer harbors or inlets. Um, yeah. yeah. And then um, also docks. Yeah. When docks are available. Tying up at the docks seems especially easy, obviously more in the southern half of the race. Uh, and then the other thing that you asked about was going at night mm-hmm. and how we think about that. Our initial uh, our initial thought was, well, it's only dark for about six hours, you know, because it's such a good time of year. So maybe we should maybe we should just take that as an opportunity to sleep and then try and start running early. It seems like some of the smaller boats do do that. I think our thinking is evolving somewhat in that we would keep going if a, if a tide gate required it and push through there. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I think it's right. But for the, for the most part, I think we envision not not going at night. Yeah, mm. more like starting at like you know get leave unanchoring or something, undocking at like four a.m. and then yeah, yeah. you know start right before sunrise and make sure you're you're rolling into your anchor dock or whatever beach at you know the second it gets dark. I do think there was uh catamaran a 20 foot catamaran i think it was team catch me if you can and i don't think they stopped at, at all yeah. tonight they may have stopped once but they had yeah. a, the, mo- the most impressive run of of all the catamarans and um of all the small catamarans and um yeah so that's that's a source of inspiration for us and i think in our training we're gonna yeah. keep thinking about how we want to approach the this question because it's a really important one yeah, they were. Yeah. And that was their second year going at it. You know, they had tried the year year prior. And uh, so they they had a lot to base on. But you're right. Yeah, they, they were an impressive run. Uh, well, counterbalanced by the number of beach cats that ended up upside down or uh, hauled out along the way. Yeah, it's absolutely true. One of, I mean, one of my favorites is Team Mao in the first year, which found themselves capsized. And before they crashed against the rocks, their mast underwater fetched up on a rock and caused the whole boat to flip upright once again. And they realized with great joy, they're like, it's intact. They climbed in and they sailed out in a 30 knot breeze. Um, Yeah. And, and we're able to keep going, which was kind of amazing. Wow. Yeah. They're tough boats. Like you say, they are tough boats. Yeah. (laughs) But so, okay, let's get on to, I think, an important one, too, which is kind of your motivation. Uh, You know, it's uh, this, you know, this has a number of sacrifices. The race has a lot of sacrifice to it. I mean, it's born of sacrifice. The the amount of time, the amount of effort, uh, you know, the risk that you're putting out there. You all have, you know, done enough things. You have, you know, taking your your sailing racing to the the highest points. You know, you've gone to Transpac, you've raced in Worlds, you've raced international Worlds, you've done nationals, you've been on varsity teams at MIT for Christ's sakes. That's brilliant. Um, so, like, I mean, why? What your your through hike, your ultra marathon? My God, haven't you proven it already? So, <laughs> what um, you know, what in that like pantheon of challenge need that you have? Are you deciding that this is going to fill a hole that you have yet to fill up? I think it has to do with everything you mentioned and really just continuing to push ourselves and see what we're capable of. You know, we want to become better sailors. We're always looking to become better sailors. We love competing. uh, And, you know, 
we love the part about Race to Alaska that it requires you to not just be a sailor, but also an endurance athlete because of the duration of the race and because of the human powered element. It just takes a lot of the things that we've done before and a lot of the things we've loved doing in our lives and ratchets up the pressure and and the level of performance that's demanded of both of us if we're going to do this and do it safely and and do it well. You mentioned that you like to compete, your competitors, right? So, I mean, my my I think obvious question is who are you competing against? Honestly, for a lot of I think a lot of the activities we've done, a lot of it is competition like within ourselves, you know, to to be better athletes, to push ourselves. I think when we did the Appalachian Trail together a few years ago, like our main one of our main goals going into that was we you know we we want to push ourselves we want to work hard you know we're not like hiking to set a record or anything like that but we're hiking to to make ourselves better people and to to work hard and so I think that's a lot of like my like I think both of our like sense of competition is you know push ourselves to learn more to to sail harder to work harder and just I don't know yeah I think that's completely true and we both feel that. I think we're also both competitive to the point that we'll compete with whatever's in front of us <laughs> and whoever's in front of us. And so whoever else registers for Race to Alaska in 2024, we're going to be thinking, how can we beat that boat? Okay, so how about this then? So so what does losing look like? So we could lose before we get there. If we're not yeah. prepared to do the race safely, that's going to be total failure, like really disappointing if we feel like we're scrambling at the 11th hour to do the important stuff on our lists that's going to be really disappointing for us and after the race starts losing would be not making it to catch can i think yeah i think not making the catch but i think kind of like you said too first is that like if we're not prepared and we have to quit because of like our own doing you know not like a safety thing or like the wet you know what there's a thousand reasons to quit and it's a great idea to quit but like if we had to quit for a reason that was sort of self-inflicted like we made a really silly decision or we weren't you know working as a team to make something happen and i think that would be a loss in the race roger that i mean I love, what a great answer that whole thing uh that is that is fantastic um I'm, I'm curious about one thing too i noticed john that you uh set set a perhaps self-proclaimed but worthy record during one of your trans packs of uh pooping at 27.4 knots <laughs> that's right now, we, which is impressive i gotta say it really sh- when i was reading through your your stuff that really shined out to me that was really um thank you and thank I, you and i realized we don't have that kind of record in race to alaska yet so i'm really hoping that you add to your wish list somewhere in there that you can set that record as well mm, yeah yeah that's pretty awesome yeah we'll, we'll train up on it we'll get back to you <laughs> Yeah, that would, that'd be really good. That'd be really good. If you were going to elevator pitch someone, if you were going to tell people why you think it's a good idea to do this race, what would you say? Okay, we'll move on. Yeah. All right, good. Yeah, I have another question then. I, I noticed, Kayla, too, that um, I felt like in some ways that you were trying to um, better your record for uh, or at least increase the list of all the miserable places you have sailed or the miserable conditions you've <laughs> sailed in. Um, one of the things I noticed a lot of times was how cold it was where you sailed, how much wind was going, how much snow was on the pictures. <laughs> how do you think uh, it's going to compare 
to other situations you've been in, sailing in snowstorms, sailing in like near freezing weather? Having not spent a lot of time in the inner passage of Vancouver Island, um, I like to tell myself that it's probably not going to snow while we're sailing. But I think my guess is the hardest part is, you know, even after like a really long day of sailing, you know, you you get to go inside and take a warm shower. Um, so I, I think the weather part doesn't like bother me. Like, yeah, it's probably going to rain all day. Like, so what? We'll have hats on and dry suits. I think the hardest part is going to be like that. If bad weather happening day after day after day and not being able to go inside um, and like get that warmth. Obviously, like, we'll have a tent. There's going to be that. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I think the weather hopefully won't be as bad as some of the like New England spring. You know, the water is not 33 degrees in the summer um, on the West Coast. So that I think for me, that's like one of the biggest pluses. I'm I'm not as afraid of the bad weather um, so much as just like making sure that we're prepared to handle it day after day. I mean, I have found like sometimes the hardest time for me was uh, getting out of my tent. Yeah, <laughs> like because. No, you're in your sleeping bag. You're all tucked away. Everything is stable. Your situation is stable. And you're about to introduce as much variable into your day as you can possibly imagine <laughs> by getting up. That's so true. One of Kayla's sailing partners in college had a, a quote that I really liked. Anytime the weather got bad and it started to rain, she'd say, splish, splash, bitches. It's time to get wet. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah. So humor, humor helps too. Humor helps a lot. Yeah. Kayla and I also, in all of our adventures together like to think of ourselves as the good news gang mm. i think there's a lot of bad news out there a lot of people who it's hype, gonna rain yeah hype up the rainstorm that's coming hype up how steep the next hill is hype up how big the waves were whatever and i think we both keep our head screwed on straight by just saying yeah maybe maybe but maybe that's bad news and maybe we're gonna be okay and yeah um a lot of times it works out for us the good news gang i like that that should be like your alternate team name. <laughs> good news that gang. Would be, that would be a good team name. I think it might have been on the list. <laughs> oh, yeah. You want to say anything about your uh, tips up, the, the team name, why, why you went that? I know the skiing connection on a, on a lift. Is that it? Yeah, more or less kind of because, you know, obviously we moved to Boulder, Colorado a little over a year ago. And so there's sort of that like skiing connection with like you always see the, the signs say like tips up when you about to get off a ski lift and obviously the Hobie 16 you know you've got like the two bananas the two little tips um that you don't want to dig in the water the uh the first training session we did this year on the Hobie 16 uh Kayla it was windy Kayla gets on the helm mm -hmm. really a really confident driver because <laughs> she's driven so many boats for so long but the catamaran behaves a little differently the Hobie 16 really likes to <laughs> stick the tips in and go ahead over heels so anyway, she found that out in the very first puff as soon as we turned down windy and went off. Just, really? Immediate pitch pull. Yeah, immediately pitch pull. So it was like, cool. Tip, tips up was born. You know, and after that, like, I think we got off the water and John's like, oh, shit. Like, she's never going to want to do the race to Alaska. And then I was like, okay. You know, like, that was pretty not fun. But, like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, way to get it over with, like, yeah. right away, you know? Yep. Just done. I know what that feels like. Don't need to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> OB-16 has about 10 or maybe 15 ways that it likes to capsize. And there's all these different modes. You can get wind under the trampoline. You can capsize to leeward. You can dig the bows in upwind or downwind or 
yeah. the skipper or anybody can get washed off the trapeze and then they drag the boat over backwards. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of different boats. And so we have a, we have a few more to find before the race. Well, what uh, what I hope you don't end up with when you roll into Ketchikan is a list of all the ones that you actually did. Do you want to talk about the totally. pedal drive system? Oh yeah, I'd love to talk about the pedal drive. <laughs> we're both we're both engineers uh, by training, and um, we I I personally have really taken to this task of building the pedal drive and researching all the pedal drives that have been built for Race to Alaska before, and uh, working with my my professors a little bit from MIT and um, one of them wrote uh, software for designing propellers. So we have a, a custom designed propeller. So the two of us will drive it. And it's, if we're producing 160 Watts and it's working at maximal efficiency. And then we went out and did some towing testing with the boat to figure out what the, the drag curve is with speed and, um, it looks like on 160 watts, we can get the boat to go four and a half knots. And that would be really, really cool. <laughs> getting uh, <laughs> getting the power from our legs to the propeller has proven to be a, a big challenge. It's just no space on the little catamaran to, to integrate a system like that. And a few of the teams uh, have had pedal drives on catamarans, and I think a lot of them have, have broken during the race. Um, but we're super excited about it. I've got like uh, Gates Carbon Drive. Uh, you know, they make the belt drive bikes. They're, they're in Denver near us. So we have some Gates components that we've been working with uh, to avoid the rusting on the chain. And um, we, we both did a workout on my parents' Peloton <laughs> <laughs> this morning. So we're, we're time to start biking. <laughs> we're getting in shape. Um, so we're, we're really excited about the pedal drive for sure. Hey, this is going back to your very first question. I totally forgot, but in terms of defending our vessel and we talked, we talked about rounding up and actually the Hobie 16 has a big advantage, which is that the trampoline is upset. Uh, it's oh, it's yeah. raised up above the hulls on some pylons and it's about four inches higher than, uh, than a trampoline that's right at the level of the hulls. So, that's a, that four inches actually does make a huge difference yeah. because it keeps you drier and it keeps you just a, that little bit further away from the water compared to like a Hobie 18 or even the Hobie 20. You are, you are slightly more, a little warmer, slightly yeah. warmer, slightly drier. I mean, any defense is a good defense, but I, of course, am still reminded of the numerous um, beach cat sailors that got swept off their boats in the middle of the night on the race to Alaska. Oh. So I, I would advise uh, surfboard leashes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which have, have proven good. To, to tether to the boat. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I am not gospel by any means. So you can totally blow me off too. <laughs> we're, taking, we're taking notes. So we'll, we'll back. <laughs> that, I mean, plenty of people have done it without surfboard leashes. I knew one guy who, uh, and he will remain nameless, but about 2 a.m. he was on a beach cat hallucinating and the only way he could get out of the hallucination was to throw himself off the boat, oh um, which woke him up. And then he climbed back on all of it, given evidence by his tracker, which was a very erratic line Whoa. that he told me was a alternate reality in which he was sailing in a box in Texas. That's awesome. Awesome. So yeah, beach cats. Woo. 
We do too. One, one last thing that I really would just like to mention is, I don't know, just the gratitude that we have for the sailing community mm. uh, as a whole and for our families who supported us in getting into the sailing community uh, when we were younger. It just, uh, it, it's really, it's really a special thing. And I feel like the two of us have been especially blessed with uh, families that have, Kayla's dad, she started sailing before him. He wasn't a sailor yet. She got into it, started doing high school sailing. And then he decided this is going to be my hobby too. And now he's a badass sailor, 505, <laughs> knows everything about rigging, you know. Wow. Um, my grandma is the one who bought this Hobie 16 for us when I was 15 and working at West Coast Sailing and making 12 bucks an hour. And um, so we're we're just so grateful and just wanted to put that out there. Well, I mean, thanks, y'all. All I can say is welcome. Welcome to the Race to Alaska family. One more family that you get to be a part of. And uh, we're all really excited that you are. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking with us today as well. All right, y'all. Enjoy your holidays. All Thank right. Thank you as well. Okay, you too. Well, all right. Uh, 2024, it's the year of wet freezing racers on boats built for places with beaches. Daniel, you've spent some time up in the northern reaches. How many beaches are between Bella Bella and Ketchikan? Yeah, you know, yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, because outside of the beach at Campbell River, where you can see the Golden Archers, which is a nice stop, I'm going to go with a total of one. But even that's debatable because most people call that a sandbar. Mm. So mm. I'm definitely I'm wishing these people a lot of luck in, in finding uh, sleeping spots. You and I both know that one of the real troubles of uh, uh, going by day and sleeping by night, if you're going to sleep on the beach, is finding any place that you can safely put that boat in a tent. I'm curious what the race fans have to say about the Hobie attempt. So we have an email <laughs> podcast at r2ak.com. Shoot us your comments. If you write something interesting enough, we might read it. We might make fun of it. I don't know. Well, sweet, man. We have. I know we got one more. And it's who you recently interviewed, Jesse. And that was Team Sail Like a Mother. And I'm really dying to hear what they had to say. It seems like a real interesting team. Yeah, this group is super fun. I think we're going to be hearing a lot from them as the race ramps up. They have put together like an early online presence. Uh, one of my favorite things is that they had... They had created merchandise even before the vetting team said yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's great. So let's get to it. All right. So you're sale like a mother. You are coming to us for the 2024 Race to Alaska. And like any Race to Alaska fan who's been around for any length of time is going to hear sale like a mother and think, what a ripoff. <laughs> you three just took a name that was out there and you threw another word at the end of it. So uh, are you are you doing this to honor Sail Like a Girl or are you doing it just out of sheer disrespect? <laughs> Katie, go for it. Uh, oh, man. I don't know how long it took us to come up with a name. A very long time. Um, but actually, we spoke with sail like a girl um from the start before we even announced our name because we wanted to honor them and their legacy and we absolutely did not want to 
um, feel like we were ripping them off and we actually got their blessing before we even uh, went forward with that name. Okay. So you spoke to Jean, you got her blessing. I would have advised you could have done it anyway without her blessing, but um, <laughs> I think it's great that you did that. Are you going by um, say like a girl, obviously a lot of people called them slag. Are you, should we call you slam? Yeah, we've been going by that as well, for sure. Going by slam. Great. Um, so your resumes, obviously that's the first step to anyone wanting to race to Alaska is you send in your adventure resumes and the vetting team looks them over. And I had that, like reading your resumes as they came in, you, you know, when you like look at a word too long or you, or you say a word too many times and it starts to lose all meaning, you know what I'm talking about? Like, what is this weird word? Well, I started feeling that when I was reading your your application because there was just like all of these, like every type of adventure that I could imagine. It's like, oh, canoeing in the Amazon, sailing to Tonga, <laughs> trekking in Myanmar, like all of these things. So like, do you feel like you're over-prepared for Race to Alaska? There is no such thing, Jesse, as overprepared, <laughs> especially when you're on a small boat. I don't think even any of us have ever done. Well, that's not true. Katie and I have been on a very small boat together for a very long time, but the water was warmer. So this and where is where was that? That was in Baja. We sailed with our now husbands. Katie <laughs> got engaged on the trip on a Catalina 22. We spent 12 days on it. We rotated who got to sleep in the tiny bee berth and who got to go ashore and we all still like each other <laughs> our our husbands don't like to sail anymore yeah, our probably <laughs> okay so you're you're still married but your husbands don't like to sail that was that was another thing that i i saw repeated a couple of times about how oh you know through all these adventures i'm still friends with everybody i've ever sailed with and all that. And I think like, is, is that bullshit or should people believe you when you say that? You can check references. Oh, that <laughs> yeah. There's been, well, um, that I, we, we believe there have been five divorces that have come about because of race to Alaska, the three of you, uh, well, before we talk about whether the three of you are going to get divorces from each other, maybe just, uh, can you tell us like how this team came to be? Who who is the who is the instigator of this terrible idea and how did it happen? Katie was definitely the instigator. Katie's been following the race to Alaska ever since it started, and she used to text me and Melissa. I bet you updates like check it out, check who's in the lead. One day we're gonna do this, and so she has been the driving force and is our captain for sure. Um, and it, the pieces all just fell together for all three of us to make it happen this this year. Okay, so so Katie's the captain. Are you three? You've you've all known each other quite a long time, is that right? Yeah, I've known Melissa over twenty years, and Bree over fifteen, probably eighteen. Okay, so mm -hmm. you're like the you're the nucleus. Mm -hmm. Are they? Are the two of them going to be able to listen to your? your commands and <laughs> uh and follow through oh yeah <laughs> yes we are good. i am very good at uh -huh. listening to instructions that's why we oh, picked melissa <laughs> that's why you picked melissa to be on the team is that what you mean partly well melissa you want to tell him a little bit about your sailing experience 
Oh, gosh. Really? I don't know if my sailing experience is the experience <laughs> we want to talk about on this podcast. Um, I live in a family of racers and have always enjoyed going out on sailboats and race boats, but I myself do not consider myself a sailor or especially not a racer, but I'm really good at following directions and being on a boat and pulling lines and sitting here and steering here and watching there and really just being I mean that's a good humored person right. on the boat. That's the person on the on the tillers, you know, I they're just so. pointing the boat. But the rest but you know also what I'm seeing, uh your company the podcast listeners can't see because we are not uh, technologically advanced enough to actually have video, but they can't see that you're sitting there in scrubs. Oh, yeah, I'm about to go to work. I have a 12-hour shift overnight tonight. And tonight you can expect uh, all of the various uh, wounds that one might see, uh, gunshot wounds and people falling off of ladders and all those types of things. So I would imagine that you are already very much the ship's doctor. Would that be a correct assumption? The ship's nurse, absolutely, 100%. Was there someone else who outranks you in the medical field at no, that point? I don't think so. I think we're going to have to call you the doctor then. Not to say that nurses are somehow lesser than, but, you know. Yes. You are the ex extreme authority. Uh, have you given much thought to how you might be employing your medical skills along the way? Um, I have thought a lot about it, actually. I've thought about what we need to bring, who we need to be able to call, what sort of things would be um, race enders. You know, there's a lot of things that can happen sailing out in Bellingham Bay that are pretty big deals, but pretty big deal, but we have quick access to a hospital. So yeah, I've been running through scenarios in my head, trying to think about what would be the things that we couldn't wait three to four days before we got to a bigger town all right let's run let's run through a couple of these things uh very minor concussion somebody got boomed very minor concussion we've got uh pupils are equal we got no signs of traumatic brain injury over here but we're maybe feeling a little low energy how do we respond to that we are now uh let's say we are in johnstone Strait. Yeah, that's probably not going to feel super good for the person who has that mild concussion. But really, the plan of care in a major hospital isn't going to be any different. We're going to monitor for changes. If something drastic changes, that might be a call. But at that point, it's lots of rest, staying off the nav, not looking at little things, uh -huh. just monitoring. But you're continuing at this point. Oh, yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Okay, we have now encountered a heavy sea state and there is just spray coming from every direction. We've we've torn some sort of uh, exposure gear and uh, and Katie has been experiencing like moderate hypothermia now for 36 hours. Um, we are now approaching Bella Bella. What are we considering? And we just can't get her warm. We don't have our spare set of fowlies we haven't been able to cuddle up in a sleeping bag with her and feed her lots of warm liquids and all those things and she's no, still not warming no. up i think i think she's just not warming up so you're about to get into bella bella is this game ender or are you going to hang out in bella bella 
oh. maybe avail yourself of the Shearwater Casino for I don't a think couple that's of days. Game ender, but I think we're going ashore and we are getting her warm. All right, great. Well, uh, I think you're all in good hands for the for the medical side <laughs> of things. Passed? I'm going to stop my stop my inquiry unless uh, anyone else has any fears they want to allay at this very moment on the podcast. Okay, so. All right, so your boat, Santa Cruz 27, called Wild Card. It has been uh, showing up in our races, the Northwest Maritime Center races now for a bunch of years. 2018, it sailed as Team Wild Card. And then again, it sailed in Washington 360 in 2021 uh, with Mark Aberley at the helm. Uh, now, when you came together as SLAM, were you thinking Santa Cruz 27, or was this the boat that manifested? Well, originally it was Bree and I um, were going to do the race and we were looking at smaller boats like Santana 20s, Montgomery 18s, really small boats. And I interviewed a whole bunch of folks who had done the race in those boats. And for the most part across the board, they said they'd love to do the race again, not in that small of a boat. Um, so we kept getting that feedback. And then Mark um, contacted me kind of on the side with uh, the option to buy wildcard, but we needed a third person to really make that happen, Brian, I felt like. Um, so I didn't put a ton of thought into it. And then Melissa came to me <laughs> one evening on the call. I We really hadn't told many people that Brie and I were thinking of doing Race to Alaska at all. And I believe her words to me were, I heard you're doing the Race to Alaska. I'm coming with, <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Actually, I think I said, why haven't you invited me yet? You know I'm coming. So Wildcard came to you, like, decked out. She's got a pedal drive all put together, but I think uh, Turnpoint Design in Port Townsend built that. Uh, and so sh she's ready to go. Exactly. Yeah. The pedal drives done the race three times. Um, and then the, the Washington 360 as well. Okay. okay. So I was curious, uh, Mark, who obviously he did Washington, he said race to Alaska, Washington 360. And then in 2022, he joined fashionably late and, uh, took, uh, their dash up and finished again. Now in 2018, Mark, I believe finished in third place on wildcard in 2022 fashionably late aboard the good vessel fighting trousers came in third place are you afraid that mark is cursed and are you afraid <laughs> that his curse might follow you in wildcard uh, jesse we would be shocked if we got third place i'm gonna just say it now we are not in this to win it and if we get third place it'll be because mark cursed the boat in a good way <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll check with Mark on this point. Uh, I do. I do want to let you know a little down and dirty dirt. You are likely not the only SC 27 in this year's race. Ooh, and so that's exciting. And so you may have uh, some folks to be fighting against. And uh, that's all I'll say for now. <laughs> I do have to say Mark has been so wonderful and his whole team from 2018 have reached out and any questions we have. Um, I think I text Mark weekly for sure. Mm. And he's just a wealth of 
information and support and um, as well as anyone else who's done the race to Alaska that I've reached out to. It has been amazing and humbling, just the level of support and family that you guys have created with race to Alaska. Yeah, it's pretty amazing stuff. Mark, uh, Mark is a great guy. He actually brought his cruising boat up to Victoria last year. And during the layover between the two stages, he posted his boat up and was just a resource to everybody down there on the dock. Uh, so I'm hoping I can trick him into doing that again this year. <laughs> so I'm curious about your, uh, your plan on the water. Uh, are you sailing through? Are you anchoring down? Are you standing watches? What is, uh, what's your vision? I think our plan is to do a little bit of everything. We'll go forward when we can. And if it makes sense to sail through the night and we're prepared to do so, we will, but we're also going to have the boat ready to anchor and we're not going to push ourselves unnecessarily. Um, and we're going to sail a very safe boat and that's always going to be our first and primary concern. Yeah. You really got to sail when you can. I, I keep being amazed at a certain set of emails that drop into my inbox or, uh, in people's applications. I often see the phrase in the, in the little part, what is your extra propulsion? What, what's your auxiliary propulsion? And people say things like, oh, we're bringing a stand-up paddle because we plan to sail the whole way. And they're, you know, on a boat your size or bigger. And I, I get a little confused by that as though people think that it's a constant breeze. And anyone who's watched Race Alaska knows you're, you are going to spend days on the pedals or paddles. Uh, so you mentioned that Turnpoint Design has a well-seasoned uh, pedal drive. What are you doing to get ready to be powerhouses on the drives? I just did my 30-minute squats before this. We got daily squats. What else are we doing? <laughs> daily to get those uh, big muscles. I know that Katie has been on many meetings while pedaling under her desk, and people are possibly curious about why she's slightly <laughs> out of breath at all times. I am not allowed to pedal on meetings anymore. My husband said that sounds very disturbing, and he's worried about our clients. <laughs> uh, the, and the other thing is when you're pedaling for six or 10 or 12 or hours or two days, that means that there's just glassy water and a big bright sun in the sky. What are you gonna do to fill that time? Is it music? Is it games? Both, for sure. I sailed for 33 days between Panama and the Marquesas, and I am a writer, and I thought, oh, I'm gonna get so much writing done. It's gonna be amazing, all those bright sunny days with nothing to do. And somehow I'm like, where does the time go? Because all of a sudden you're like, I fed myself, I kept warm or I kept cool. I slept, I did watch, I slept again. <laughs> and then you're like, I wrote zero words in 33 hmm. days on that boat. So I know that the time goes fast. I also know the value of Scrabble, travel Scrabble, hmm. and the value of a sweet playlist, which we're all compiling and we're going to share. You're going to share it out. For the for the fans, we're gonna share. Oh, sure, we'll share our playlist for the fans. Why oh. not? We'll put oh, them on Spotify. It. Slam slam Spotify playlists. Everyone can listen along with us. And Brie has offered to teach us, Katie and I, how to salsa dance. No, no tango. Mm -hmm. You're gonna tango. tango on the boat. Yes. Definitely. 
All right. Small steps. Tango's <laughs> known for small steps. We should be fine. Should be good. <laughs> that way, Katie, yeah, yeah. hypothermic. No hypothermia if we see if we tango. I'm kind of an introvert, so I'm looking forward to looking backwards because our pedal drive faces back, uh-huh. and just taking that as alone time. I don't know about if Bree or Katie would say that they're introverts, but quiet alone time isn't a bad thing in my world. And I feel like my, I mean, one of the best things about this race is that Brianna and Melissa are my two nearest, dearest friends, but because of family and our children and just distance, Bree lives in Montana. Um, and even Melissa's here in Bellingham, but we don't see each other near, near enough. I'm just excited to have so much quality time with two of the most special people to me in my world. So that's just exciting in and of itself. And Jesse, let's not forget that since we're all mothers with young children, we think that quiet, <laughs> long hours with no one going, mom, mama, mom, mama, is like basically paradise. It doesn't matter if it's rain, if it's blowing. No one's talking to us, but our own brains and and like grown up women sounds like paradise. Sounds pretty good. So let's talk about the the kids part. Obviously, you uh, you value your roles as parents enough to name your team after it. What exactly are you telling your kids about why you're doing this race? Or you're not. You're just not telling them. Just, they're just not. I'm just not telling them that I'm in a race. They just think I'm going to take it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I told my kids that I want them to know I can do hard things without their dad around to fix the diesel engine when it breaks, because that has been the dynamic in our family for a long time is that mom can sail the boat, but as soon as something goes wrong, dad steps in to fix it. And so my big goal for this race is to show that I can do it with my girlfriends and we are fully capable and I can remember how to fix things when they break. My son, Finn, is seven. And I think he's also followed the race um, <laughs> since he can remember because I've always been such a tracker junkie. So he's, I think, known I'm going to do the race probably before I even knew. Um and I think he has a good understanding of how difficult this race is because he's followed it with me. Um, and so I think that's always been a goal of mine as a parent is to just show that you can do anything you set your mind to it if you work hard enough. Um, and I think our kids also get to see us working nonstop on this project because it's so there's so much preparation, as you know. So I think he's excited to see us off and he's a little nervous, but um, I think it's important to just show him that we're still capable of getting out there doing those hard things, but we have to work really hard for it, even though it is a little bit scary. Mm-hmm. Melissa, is there anything your progeny is uh, thinking about your race? Um, my kids are super excited. I have told them that, you know, my role as their mother is the thing that, I'm most proud of and that ident is, you know, really a strong part of my identity, but that I'm also more than their mom and that I need to still do things that help me be me and have nothing to do with that role. 
So I've told them that, that this is something I'm doing for myself and that I'm really nervous about, but that's okay. It's okay to be scared and it's okay to be nervous and it, it's okay to feel vulnerable and not know if you're going to do it, be able to do it or not, but still try for it. And um, my 12 year old is love sailing. So they're super excited about this and can't wait to try for a family go at it here in a couple of years. And my 10 year old is actually really scared. And um, so we have a lot of conversations about um, safety and, you know, where our, our limits lie. And um, so that, that's been interesting. I think she's just at an age where she's seen the movie and she's really wearing this, um, hard right now and she mm. is nervous but we're talking lots about it are your uh families gonna fly up and meet you and catch a can yeah mine will hopefully i think my kids are five and nine and my husband will come to the send-off and then they're gonna drive up the coast of vancouver island and maybe catch us they've been wanting to go check out johnstone Strait and campbell river and blackfish sound and um, but my husband and I have sailed enough passages and so have our children to know that they have no idea when we'll arrive. So there's no <laughs> use in booking a plane ticket. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. We have uh, every year, there's always one or two family members who show up about nine days before their family shows up and gets again. <laughs> well, it's a good time. It's a really good time hanging out up there. You eat a lot of fish and chips. <laughs> so you are Team, team Slam. You're on a mission to read about your mission. And I can't put it into words, but I was hoping that you might tell us a little bit about some of the deeper reason why you're, why you're sailing for the ocean. Um, so all of us have science degrees and we're all environmentalists and love the ocean. That's partly why we're doing this. And as such, we, when we sat down we're, to think about it, like, can we spend a month of our life or more in preparation as well? without giving back something to the larger world. And so we thought, how can we benefit the ocean and the animals that we love to see while we're sailing? Um, I have written stories about one group called Oceans Initiative, and Katie has done GIS work through her company, Blue Water GIS, for Oceans Initiative. And so we thought they were a natural fit because they monitor marine wildlife, specifically in Puget Sound. And one of the main focuses they have is seeing how noise, specifically from motors, um, affects marine mammals. And so as a motorless race, this is a perfect time to see if um, what kind of noises we can pick up. So we're going to take a hydrophone with us. We're going to drop it overboard when we can and collect sounds um, for the Oceans Initiative scientist team. Um, we're also going to work with them and a group called Adventure Scientists to try to replicate um, for other sailors, how to take marine mammal counts as we go. So if we see them jotting it down, we have a special tablet um, and the adventure scientist group is trying to make it so that other teams, maybe even race to Alaska or maybe other sailors just out and about in the Pacific Northwest and eventually beyond can collect data and use that data to help scientists who are trying to conserve these at-risk animals. That sounds awesome. Something to do while you're out there. Yeah, exactly. Something to do that helps. Uh, well, I think 
uh, I think we've we've heard a lot. I'm wondering if you want to say anything out there to the to the race world. Well, I just want to say thanks to you guys. I know the race to Alaska. I can't even imagine how much work it is to put it on and your guys' excellent coverage and all you guys do. So thank you guys for all you do to make the race possible. Oh, you're so, you're so welcome. And we'll edit that back out. <laughs> 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 or not. I don't know we're, how we're feeling. Um, hey, it's been really great talking to you. I cannot wait to meet you all. I can't wait to see your uh, to see your fan base grow. I know that you're already out there selling merch. One thing I love to see is even before we approved your application, you're out there selling merch. <laughs> you're talking about your race. It's great. I believe that's at BriannaRandall.com. You can uh, <laughs> you can decide how you want to spell that, and when the web browser doesn't bring you there, spell it a different way until you find. Oh, sailikeamother.com. Ah, easy. excuse me. Okay, yeah. so it's sellikeamother.com and you can go get all that. And if you want to read Brianna's writing, then you can go to briannarandall.com. <laughs> uh, and so we will see you in June. And uh, good luck. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Jesse. Oh, man. You know, I cannot wait to watch these moms. They are so badass. And, you know, it's what is this the third Santa Cruz 27 that signed up this year? Well, uh, the public doesn't know about it yet, but yeah, it's looking like a crowded field for the SC 27. Man, I love it. Let's have some match racing. And I love that this boat is from Team Wildcard because Team Wildcard, uh, they got, what was it? They got third place, almost the steak knives. And uh, like you are saying in the interview, but what they did with that boat was tremendous. They had first place almost for the first half of the race course. And it was this excellent use of the boat and the currents and the wind. And it was some of the best sailing I'd seen on the course. Um, and, it, and it really made me fall in love with the Santa Cruz 27 as kind of a, an all-around boat. And so it, it's going to be really exciting to see what they do with that boat. Absolutely is. It's a proven race to Alaska boat with what looks to be a pretty solid team. Um, and I guess with that... That's it for this week's episode. Daniel, thank you so much again for being here. I wish you the best of luck with the hooligans in your class. Yeah, Jesse, thanks so much for having me on, man. It's really a joy. All right. Until next week, High Command out. Race to Alaska is a project of the Northwest Maritime Center in Port Townsend, Washington. To learn about our other projects or how you can support them, please visit us online at nwmaritime.org.